Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby. We are thankful that you have joined us today. This is the work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We're located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. You can reach us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, That You May Grow Thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. I am Greg Litmer, and I'm one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. I'm Jacob Taylor, one of the evangelists. I'm Ross Oldenkamp, also an evangelist. Today we continue our study of the last week of our life, of the Lord's life on earth, and things are really starting to pick up now and happening one right after the other. The last lesson that we had, he was sent before Pilate, and then Pilate takes an opportunity to send him to Herod. And that's where we'll be beginning, looking at Luke chapter 23, verses 6 through 12. Luke 23, verses 6 through 12. Now when Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, since he also was in Jerusalem at this time. Now Herod was overjoyed when he saw Jesus, for he had wanted to see him for a long time, because he had been hearing about him and was hoping to see some sign performed by him. And he questioned him at some length, but he offered him no answer at all. Now the chief priests and the scribes stood there vehemently charging him. And Herod, together with his soldiers, treated him with contempt and mocked him, dressing him in a brightly shining robe, and sent him back to Pilate. And so Herod and Pilate became friends with one another that very day, for previously they had been enemies towards each other. I find it interesting that when Herod, or Pilate rather, heard that Jesus was from Galilee, he saw it as an opportunity to shift the case to another court. Now we know Herod was in Jerusalem for the Passover celebration. Luke says he was at Jerusalem at that time, that time referring to, I think, the Passover season. While Herod was not a religious person, Showing respect for the Jewish festivals was important to his position. Pilate readily used that opportunity. You know, at an earlier period of our Lord's ministry, Herod was so troubled by a guilty conscience due to his murder of John the Baptist that reports of the work of Jesus had actually frightened him. Herod thought that Jesus might have been John risen from the dead. This passage indicates that that fear had passed. And now he's just curious, curious about Jesus. He'd heard that Jesus performed miracles. Now he's thinking, well, maybe I'll get to see one. We've been given no indication of what Herod asked Jesus, but we know that the Lord remained quiet before him. The chief priests and the scribes, they vehemently accused Jesus before Herod, but the Lord answered nothing. Evidently, the silence of Jesus made Herod angry, for he and his soldiers certainly treated Jesus with abusive contempt by mocking him and dressing him in a gorgeous robe. Finally, Herod sent Jesus back to Pilate, having found nothing worthy of commendation. Maybe it was the courtesy of Pilate in recognizing Herod's jurisdiction and giving him the opportunity to question Jesus that had led to the reconciliation between those two rather infamous Bible characters who had been at enmity with one another. You know, uh, Jesus, the business of Jesus is to bring people together. That's what we see in the church. He, uh, 
Through the cross, he has broken down a wall of separation that existed between Jews and Gentiles. You know, I have I have tons of friends in my life that I wouldn't have had uh, if not for Jesus. But I uh, just wanted to note the ironic nature of the friendship between Pilate and Herod because uh, Jesus also brought them together, but it was their hatred of uh, of Jesus and the fact that Herod here is mocking him and and Pilate, as we're going to shortly see, uh, clearly doesn't have a great affinity for Jesus. You know, I see evidence of this even today. Um, you know, every once in a while I get on, uh, um, well, I used to get on Meetup, or you'd see these groups pop up that uh, basically the only thing they have in common is uh, they are disbelievers, but they're banding together because that is a, that is a commonality. And I think it just points to how large Jesus is in this world. No, no, no one, no other groups are formed because they are against, you know, a man. Jesus is polarizing one way or another. He, he really forces people to take, uh, make a decision about who he is. Hopefully, it'll be uh, in our lives to, uh, to come together with friends for with a common faith. I'm amazed by the. Even the change we see in Herod from verse 8 to verse 11 of this chapter. You know, Herod, when he's getting ready to, is, is excited, he's overjoyed of being, being able to see Jesus and hopefully going to see a miracle by, by him, performed by him. And then by the end, um, in that he had, after he had questioned Jesus and received no answer, the chief priest, the scribe, stood there charging him, and Herod, together with his soldiers, treated him with contempt and mocked him. And the things that he did, I think it's just a amazing thing of of Herod's. Um, just as Greg talked about, even how Herod looked and thought that uh, Jesus could have been John the Baptist resurrected prior to these events, and started out and was excited to see Jesus. And by the end of these verses, here is has become friends with Pilate and has joined in on the the mockery of of Jesus. I think it's just a fascinating thing to see Herod's. Um, feelings changed throughout the the events here as well well herod sent him back to Pilate. herod had no judgment to render against jesus he simply sent him back to Pilate. now the second trial before Pilate is included in all four of the gospels it's in the synoptics matthew chapter 27 verses 15 through 26 where we'll be reading It's also found, though, in Mark chapter 15, verses 6 through 15, and Luke chapter 23, verses 13 through 25, and John chapter 18, verse 39 through chapter 19, verse 16. And I mention those all together because each one of them apply or supplies something that the others do not. So even though we're going to read Matthew's account, we need to bear in mind that these other accounts exist that add additional things to it, and we'll talk about those additional things as well. uh, We'll go ahead then and look at Matthew chapter 27, verses 15 through 26. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to releasing to the multitude one prisoner whom they wished. And at that time they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? 
for he knew that they had handed him over because of envy. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him, saying, Have nothing to do with that just man, for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release to you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, What then shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said to him, Let him be crucified. Then the governor said, Why, what evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. And all the people answered and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. When Jesus was sent back to Pilate, Pilate called together the chief priests and the rulers of the people. He told them once again that he found nothing in Jesus that was worthy of condemnation. Even Herod had found nothing worthy of death. So Pilate gave them a chance to have Jesus severely beaten and then released as per the custom of releasing a prisoner at the time of the feast. The Roman government did its best to keep down the turbulent elements in the provinces under their control. The release of a political prisoner at the great feast of the Jews was one example of, I guess you could call it almost the condensation to the conquered nation that they hoped would calm the rebellious people. The people were already gathering together to demand the release. Here was a good opportunity. They would get Jesus punished, and Pilate would not have to have him killed. Yeah, I'm just amazed on the, the you know Pilate's um, feelings throughout all of this, and you know not wanting to um, to make it clear that he was uh, innocent. This man's blood talks about in verse 24, and, um, and ultimately even in John's account when they um, bring into the fact of. Um, in John chapter nineteen verse fifteen, they say, "Away, away from, or away with him, away with him, crucify him." Pilate said to him, "Shall I crucify your king?" The chief priests answered, "We have no king except Caesar." And, and prior to that, they had talked about if if you're not a friend of Caesar, um, for everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar. And so bringing in that that aspect too, of um, of certainly the power of Caesar and the relationship that would have to Pilate, I think just his his instance throughout all of this is amazing, and um, that ultimately though Pilate knew what the right thing what to do was, um, had his his mind on set on knowing that Jesus was innocent, but ultimately didn't do the right thing. And I think he's just a a fascinating person to look at. I've been challenged over the years to understand the motives of Pilate with Jesus before Pilate because. When I read in Matthew 27, uh, verse uh, 17 and 18, the wording that Pilate uses to ask the multitude, what do you want me to do, Barabbas or Jesus? He says, 
or Jesus who is called Christ. Why did he call him the Christ there in that instance? Why didn't he say, or Jesus the carpenter? You know, the fact that he mentions the, his claim to be the Messiah really uh, makes sense when the next verse says, for he knew that they had handed him over because of envy. It, it seems to me that Pilate initially is inciting the crowd, that, he, that he's almost looking for this verdict. And then something shifts where it seems Pilate has a change of, uh, change of mind about where he wants this to go. And I think that what happened there, what caused that was the, the, what his wife said to him. Said that I've had these dreams. I've suffered uh, many things today. Don't have anything to do with this man. And then at that point, you start to see Pilate uh, kind of have this shift. You know, why? What evil has he done? And the washing of the hands. I'm innocent of the blood of this just person. Um, which I think is important to note that just saying so doesn't make it the case. Right? You don't get to you don't get to uh, absolve your guilt just as easily as that. In fact, John 19 verse 11, when Pilate and Jesus speak, Jesus says, "You could have no power at all against me unless it's been given to you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin." I would note that Jesus still said that Pilate had sin there in doing this. I find it interesting that. The custom was to release a prisoner to them. And if I'm reading it correctly, it seems as though the customer or the prisoner to be released was the choice of the gathered people. Well, in this particular case, Pilate limits it to two people that you can choose from. You can choose from Barabbas or you can choose Jesus. It seems as though Pilate chose Barabbas because he was such a notorious person. And perhaps he thought to himself, how could he possibly get the sympathy of the people? And obviously, if he offered Barabbas or Jesus, then they would select Jesus as being the one that they wanted released. But the leaders of the Jews intervened and persuaded the rest of the people to demand the release of Barabbas and the crucifixion of the innocent Jesus. You know, when Pilate presented the people with the choice, they cried out, Barabbas. When asked about Jesus, they said, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to the crowd, why? What evil has he done? I find no cause of death in him. I will therefore chastise him and release him. Pilate then gave orders for Jesus to be scourged. Personally, in, uh, in my reading of these events, I believe that it is clear that Pilate intended for the scourging initially to be the complete punishment. But oftentimes a prisoner would die while the scourging was taking place. The scourge was a whip consisting of many thongs from pieces of bone or metal attached to the end of each thong. And this instrument then would be brought down time after time after time upon the stretched back, buttocks, and legs of the one being beaten. The prisoner would have been stripped of his clothing and fastened to a low post, thus bending the back and stretching the skin, exposing it to the cruelty of the whip. 
You know, the Jews had a custom of 40 stripes save one. That was for fear of killing the one being beaten. But the thing is, those executing the beating of Jesus were not Jews at this time. This was a Roman cohort, so to speak. And I don't know how many stripes Jesus received at the hands of the Romans. Yeah, you know, the other synoptic accounts uh, add uh, that Barabbas was even, I don't know if you mentioned he was a murderer as well, uh, as just being guilty of insurrection. Um, But one thing I wanted to note, too, um, about about this was... um, Sorry, I just I just lost my place. Um, I, I know it'll come back to me in just a sec. Yeah, I think it's um, also amazing the the idea of you know the the crowds being stirred up to say crucify him and and just all the more yelling out that as well that when Pilate says you know what shall I do? Um, what Jesus was called to Christ, they say crucify him. Pilate responds, Why? What evil has he done? Yet they kept shouting all the more, saying crucify him. I know. You know, for me, when I try and read this, I just try and picture or imagine in my mind the loudness of the yelling of crucify him. And and the fact of the matter is I, I'm just as guilty. We all are just as guilty of that as well. That, you know, I, I'm one of those people that because of my sin, am yelling out is crucify him. And I'm the reason this all has occurred. And just an amazing um, thing that I, Jesus standing in front of people he has created and hearing the, them talk about crucify him, kill him, and yet he still you know, cares about them throughout the rest of his earthly life, his care that he has for them is just amazing and remarkable. Did you come back yeah. to your book? Yeah, your I got again? now. Thank you. So I was just going to know um, how unbelievable the sayings of the chief priests and the people were, and not just the chief priests, but all. Matthew 27, verse 22 says, they all said to him, let him be crucified. And I'm I'm thinking, where are the multitudes, you know, that followed him all these times? I think it should, you know that they were sprinkled out there. They, They were in the crowd. There's, you know, Mary, there's Peter, there's disciples. There's people who at one time in their lives might have, Tried to take him by force to make him king. I mean, this the feast was right in the middle of the feast here. And so uh, it shows the power of evil to silence the good, which we must never be silenced. But also look at what, what he was able, what these people were willing to say. When they said, when Pilate said, shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. That was such an unbelievable statement of truth, of course, in this instance, because Jesus certainly wasn't their king. But this is First Samuel 8 all over again. Remember when the people rejected God as their king? No, we want a man. We want a man to reign over us. And God said to Samuel, you know, they've, they've not rejected you. They have rejected me. From being king, and that kind of pointed pointed, I think, to Jesus in those days. Yeah, to verse twenty five, when the the people replied, "His blood shall be on us and our children." Just the, um, you know, a- amen to that phrase for for us and that what His blood does for us. First John chapter one, um, in verse seven, as I uh, flip back over there, 
talked about this idea here of what his blood does for us, where it says, But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. And so, you know, that, that phrase and what, what they meant certainly wasn't in that application, but it is for us what a, uh, obviously is a horrible event that we brought upon Jesus Christ by our sin. But what he has done for us is remarkable. Also, with Barabbas here, we, we don't hear about Barabbas from, from then on um, after these events. And I think it certainly in the, makes a form of a great imitation um, where, you know, what did Barabbas do after this? Did Barabbas go and continue living in his way? Uh, perhaps getting back to trying to get in that uh, revolt lifestyle, the murdering lifestyle? Or did he change? Um, and because Jesus took his place. I think it's interesting for, you know, for us to understand that we're Barabbas. That Jesus took our place and allowed us to be able to walk free and have the choice of if we're going to live for him or not. And uh, you know, challenge all of us to either make that choice to live for him or to um, continue, continue in that. Okay, there's more that occurs in this event between Pilate and Jesus that's pointed out to us in John, but it's a rather lengthy discussion, so we'll save that for tomorrow. We appreciate everyone who's been listening, and we encourage you to continue to listen as we very rapidly draw close to the death of our Lord Jesus as we examine the gospel accounts. So thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby.